If you would please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll be reading verses 1 through 8. This is 1015 in the Pew Bibles. 1015 in the Pew Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 through 8. Dear any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the righteous and not before the saints? Do you not know the saints will judge the world? And if, the, and if they judge the world, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels and how much more things that pertain to life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint these to the, to the least esteemed by the, uh, by the church to judge? I say to this to your shame, it is, it is so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between the, his brethren. But brother goes to law against a brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, brethren, it is already an utter failure for you that you should go to law against one another. Why do you not, why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things against your brethren. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. We're excited about the weekend that we have underway even right now. This morning, just after this hour, is Promotion Sunday for our young people. We're thankful for what they have learned, and we're thankful that they are ready for the next level of learning. It's exciting to think how much our children here learn about God. We're thankful for each of you parents that bring them and teachers that participate and keep in mind the Promotion Sunday. Second, we're thankful because just shortly after that, Camp Stradiotes will begin this afternoon, and we're thankful that they're going to learn about the marvel of Jesus Christ and what what a week it's going to be. It's amazing how many young people say that camp or retreats impacted their life in, in a huge way. And let's all be praying that that'll happen again this week. Also this evening, after the worship service, we'll have a brief time to give honor to our college graduates. And we're thankful for each of them and we rejoice with, with them just as they rejoice. And then this coming Wednesday, we will have our summer faith series that'll run from June to July. And uh, we are excited about a great slate of speakers that we have this year we'll be talking about. Uh, we know what the future holds. And a young man who uh, is a great speaker and a scholarly young man named Garrett Best will kick it off uh, this coming Wednesday night. All adult classes will meet here in the auditorium. Forbidden. There are things from the second page of your Bible that God has forbidden. And sometimes the very things that are forbidden are things that look so appealing to mankind. For example, when God gave the forbidden fruit, and then it is almost as if Satan takes Eve over and says, I want you to really study it over and look at it. She decided that it did look good for food. And she said it was pleasant to the eye. And it was desirable to make one wise. But yet God said it was forbidden. You see, at that moment, what she had to decide if she was going to practice or not was 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter in verse 7. It says, Paul gives that challenging statement. We walk by faith, not by sight. 
at that moment, Eve had to look at the things she could see and say to herself, everything I see right now that looks so good, so pleasant, and so desirable, God is telling me it's not. Which one are you going to do, Eve? Are you going to walk by sight? Are you going to walk by faith? I'm going to take God at his word. Well, you know probably the part of that story. For that moment, she did not walk by faith. She walked by sight. Today, I want us to study a lesson that as we study it intellectually from the scripture, it may not seem like that great a challenge to you. But I offer to you that whenever a brother or sister in Christ defrauds you and they take not just hundreds but thousands of dollars from you, you're going to find out that you're going to feel a lot like Eve. And you're going to see that that money that's been taken from you is good. It's desirable. And in ways, it seems pleasant. After all, it's my money. They don't deserve to have it. And it's going to be a challenge to say, I am right now going to walk by faith and not by sight. The text that was just read is, is very simple on one hand to understand, but applying it can be quite a challenge. If you would, would you go back in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter? And we're going to study this throughout the day. So there are even some important, very important principles that we won't address this morning. But I do want us to begin by addressing a principle or two and then some details. And then we'll come back tonight and do more of this. But just to make sure that you have the idea of at least a portion. Now please understand, this is not the fullness of the study or even the story. But I want you to notice this part of it as we dive in, if you will, this morning. Look at with me again at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 6 and 1. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous? and not before the saints. Now let's skip down and read verse 6. We're just trying to get an overview right now of the story. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now skip down to 8. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. What's happening here? Number one, he's pointing out what is happening is that we have brothers and sisters in Christ taking brothers and sisters in Christ to court. And he's saying, we're going to talk about this. There's not just something wrong with that detail. And here's what is powerful about this text today. He goes at least two different avenues of roots, if you will, to say it's not just the details here of going to court with a brother. There's at least two deep principles that you are violating that are so important. And we'll look at one of them this morning. But the second thing that he says, in an indirect way, but it's there, is he says... You're taking the dirty laundry of the Lord's holy institution, His church, and you're airing it out, not before the church. You're going, see there in verse 2, you're going to unbelievers, and you're airing out this. What does that make God look like to the world? What does that make the church look like to the world? Oh, and it didn't just stop there. It's not just, okay, there's two brothers and sisters here. They both have honest intent and, and, and we have a dispute to settle. That could very well be within the guidelines here. 
but he takes it even a step further. Talking about that dirty laundry. He says, some of you, you're not just taking an honest dispute. You see there in verse 8? He says, some of you are going to court because you believe you can cheat your brother. You believe you can take things that you don't even deserve to have. And he says, in a sense, in this context, he's saying, what a shame. It's a shame you'd steal from your brother. And number two, it's a shame you'd steal from your brother relying on the unbelievers to see that and to grant that to you. There's a lot here to look at. Let's pause for just a moment and think where we've been for the last several weeks. Kingdom living. One might think if I leave the world and I devote my life to Jesus Christ and I allow Him to reign in my life and I live in His kingdom, I'm not in the world anymore, I'm in the kingdom, now I'm not going to have problems. Well, you know, we've been studying for several weeks that just because we're saved, just because we're part of the Lord's kingdom, doesn't mean that we don't have problems. We're going to have problems. But here's the big, big, big understanding we must gain throughout this series and even at this point in this lesson this morning. The difference is where we go for the solutions. Where does the world go for their solutions? Where do people who live in the kingdom go for their solutions? On this next slide, I want to remind you of a few things. And if you want to turn back in your scriptures, we're not going to have slides for these next few. But if you want to look back or if you just want to listen, I want you to think with me for just a moment as we build a, a deep foundation to just the human race and the way God has dealt and interacted with the human race. Since the beginning of time, God knew that people were going to have problems and God gave His people solutions. For example, if you look back at Exodus, the 18th chapter, you remember this is where Moses is leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. How much problems can you have when you're just a group of people traveling through a wilderness? Well, you can have so many problems that the scriptures tells us here in this chapter that there was a lion. Now try to imagine this. Like don't just hear it, like imagine it. There is a line of people waiting all day long with problems. And Moses, you can imagine, is sitting there and he's hearing one person at a time. And it actually says, the scripture says, Moses says to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. They knew that God worked through Moses. They knew that Moses had the wisdom of God. And so they would bring their problems, whether it was disputes with one another or whatever it was, and you can imagine them saying, Moses, what do you think is the right thing for us to do here? Moses, we disagree on this. What would God's will be in this case? And Jethro is watching Moses wear himself out, Scripture says, and the people are being worn out because they're not being answered because there's too many questions in one day to be answered. And you remember what Jethro suggested? He said, you need to get a man and place him over 10 children of Israel. And if it's small things, let that one man be the judge over them. Notice that word judge. And then... If that one man can't handle it, set a man who is over 50 and let him go to him and let them make judgment. And if he can't help handle that situation, set a man over 100. And if the, the one man over 10 or the one man that's over 50 can't handle it, go to that. And then even set a man over 1,000 
And then if that man over a thousand can't handle a dispute, Moses, you let them bring the big cases to you. I want to read to you just a few lines. I want you to listen how God has always had a plan to say, I want you to have righteous judgment among you. I know I've already said it once, but I'm going to emphasize it. In other words, he's saying, I know you're going to have problems. I just want you to get righteous answers to your problems. And so this is what is said right after that breakdown of 10 and 50 and 100,000 sitting over. It says, and let them judge the people at all times. And then in verse 23, at the end of that verse, it says, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. Do you realize if you cannot find righteous judgment in your life, you will not have peace? Look, I'm not saying this about any particular individual here. I'm just saying an audience this size, there are several of you that haven't had peace in a while. And you know what we need to do? We need to stop at that moment and say, where have I been going for my solutions? Because if my life is continual chaos, I might be going to the wrong place for solutions. God from the very beginning is saying, my people, I'm going to give you righteous judgment. And I'm going to put people in your life that can give you righteous judgment because I want you to know peace. It is very, very powerful how God has always provided that. Flip over, if you would, to 1 Kings, the third chapter. In 1 Kings, the third chapter, we have, after Moses' time, you remember God gave the people judges to make judgment. And then after that, he gave them kings because they longed to be like the other people. What did the kings do? One of the things the kings did was to make judgment to bring peace among the people. You may remember 1 Kings, the third chapter. It's one of the great stories of the Old Testament. The young man Solomon has just been appointed to king and God comes to him in a dream and tells him, I'll grant you one wish. What do you want? And God was so impressed with him when he asked what he wanted. He said, I want, and if, if you just want to hear that scripture here, if you have your Bible open, look at the third chapter in verse nine. He says, therefore, give to your servant. This is what Solomon said to God. Give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. We're not through making the point, but can I interrupt myself just to say this? It has always been a big deal as to whether or not people have righteous judgment by God. And so as we study this lesson this morning, if there's someone here thinking, 1 Corinthians 6 isn't a big deal to me, you're missing the point. Where do we go for judgment? Where do we go? That's the deeper principle. It's not just court. That's important. But where do we go for judgment? Here's a man that God said, I'll give you anything. What do you want? And as a matter of fact, the next few verses, God is so impressed. He says, he says, most men would have asked for a long life themselves or they would have asked for riches or they would have asked for the life of their enemies. And he's so impressed what he asked, God granted him wisdom. And he said in verse 12, a wise and an understanding heart. Now you remember that God, the Holy Spirit, inspired the writings of First Kings. And so what's interesting is what would God choose to be the very next story? God gave Solomon this great wisdom. What's going to be the next story? 
Some of you remember it, don't you? Two women, harlots, both claimed a living baby to be their own. Both harlots denied the deceased baby was theirs. No witnesses, two women without an, a good and an honest reputation come and stand before the king claiming one baby. Now, how would you make that decision if it was upon you to cast judgment? Pause here right now just for a moment. There ought to be people in this midst that have devoted their life to obtaining God's wisdom, not only so their life will be what it ought to be, but so that God's people can be what they ought to be. We ought to have people in this congregation that we can go to to seek God's wisdom. I don't know if you've thought about that, and I don't know how many here have honestly tried to devote their life to wisdom, but God has always wanted His people to have people like that among them. So Solomon, in his wisdom, asked for his sword. He declares that he's going to cut the baby in half, knowing that the maternal instinct of the mother will cry out, No! Let her have the baby to which he understands and all the people can clearly see the great wisdom of Solomon. As a matter of fact, it's said in this particular way. And all of Israel heard of what? The judgment which the king had rendered. And they feared the king. In other words, they had great honor for the king. For they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Now, on this slide that's on the screen right now, we have just given you an example when God's people were in the wilderness and how God supplied them with Moses and with others that could help judge them. We've just given you an example of years later where they stood before a king, where a king said one of the most important things to me, if I'm going to lead your people, I want to be able to help them make judgments in their life that will lead them in righteousness. And we're no longer the earthly children of Israel. Today, we're the church. And you know what 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter is saying? 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter is saying, Christians, the church, that's God's version of Solomon. That's God's version of Moses. Oh, I'm not saying that God will miraculously work in our life, but I am saying to you that what 1 Corinthians 6 chapter teaches very powerfully is we ought to have people among us that know the wisdom of God and can answer disagreements that we have, whether it be with one another or situations in life. So I invite you back now to 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, Let's look at verse 2, 3, 4, and 5. Just one thing out of each one, and then the lesson is yours, and we've got to do this very quickly. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Or look at verse 3, very similar, except now instead of the world, he speaks of angels. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? 
Now, if you read various scholars, what you're going to find out is not only is there disagreements in exactly what this has meant, there's also disagreements in translation. Some would say that these two or three verses right here are some of the most difficult verses in the Bible to translate. Some of you are reading out of different translations, and that's why what you just read out of your Bible is so different from the screen. Listen, it's very hard to understand exactly how to translate these verses. But even the various translations where some of the details might be a little bit different, the principle is not different. The principle is the same in all of the verses. Let me give you an idea of, of which angle you want to come from, and it doesn't matter. You're going to end up at the same place. Some would say that what Paul was doing here was that he was being sarcastic. And that they, remember they were puffed up, we talked about that last week. In their arrogance, they must have had some kind of expression where they would say, Oh, we're going to judge the world, we're going to judge angels. And so Paul, being sarcastic here, is saying, really, you have the ability to judge the world and to judge angels, but when it comes to the smallest matters between you and a brother in Christ, you can't judge that and you have to go out into the world? If that's what he meant, that sarcasm was pretty clever. It made the point very well. Others would say, no, he's not being sarcastic here. He's using the idea of the very fact of the one to whom we identify with, we're on their side and being associated with them casts judgment on the other. Let me read for you two passages. Revelation, the third chapter, he's speaking to the church of Laodicea. In Revelation 3, he's urging them to repent and return to where they ought to be. And notice what he says at the end of 21 when he says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Do you get that? Those that overcome are going to sit on the throne as I also overcame and sat down with him on his throne. What are we going to do? In that sense, we are going to reign with the Lord. Now, does that mean that we are going to give final judgment? I don't know of any scripture that would say Jesus is going to turn to us as Christians and say, I'm having a hard time deciding with this person. What should I do? I'm going to look to a saint. What, what, that's, we don't find anything like that in scripture. But it is the idea of association. We are sitting with the judge. We have joined his side Remember the word saint, which is in here, and we'll talk about this a little more tonight. The word saint is the same root of sanctified. You live in the world, you look for the world for answers. You are separate from the world. You have left the world, why? Because you know what the world offers isn't right. You know what the world offers isn't eternal. You know that it's not truth. And so you see what Paul is doing here. Paul is saying, you have joined sides with Jesus Christ, the almighty judge. In other words, you have made the decision, his way is right. And you're going to judge him, you're going to stand with him. But then when a problem comes, you're going to leave him to go to the world for answers? And it causes you to kind of scratch your head. We could even look, and we don't have time, but Romans 11th chapter is even where he says that Noah condemned the world. How did Noah condemn the world in, in the seventh verse of the 11th chapter? He did so by his association. He was on the side of the gracious God. And all those that were not on the side of the gracious God, they were condemned. Now let's go back, if you will, and let's look just a little further here. Look in verse 4. By the way, the word judge or judgment is used seven times in these four verses we're going over right here. Isn't it interesting? We live in a world where probably never before in America have people been more quick to say, you can't judge me. 
And yet God commands us to make judgments all the time. And it's interesting how quick America is right now to say, and this is ironic really, you can't judge me, but then they'll turn around in heartbeat and take you to court because they want a judgment against you. Wait a minute, either you can or you can't judge. Which is it? Well, that whole idea of we can't judge is one of the biggest lies that Satan is telling today because we better be judging all the time. All right, look at verse four. If then you have judgment concerning the things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? This verse is translated very different from translation to translation. If it is like this, let me say this and we've got to move on. It almost seems what Paul is saying here is to say this. I'd rather you pick out the person that you think is the least able to make judgment of the church. And I'd rather that person judge me than you go out into the world and find the person in the world that you think is the most capable. In other words, it's what we studied earlier back in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, where he is talking about that even the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of God. But now let's read verse 5, and we start rounding this up to a close. He says, I say to your shame, note that, I say to your shame, it is so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren. Keep in mind, many things that are shameful, people are not ashamed of. That's what he's getting at here. He's not saying, oh, I, I know you are so ashamed of what you've been doing. They're not. That's why he's calling them on it. And he's saying, what you're doing is shameful, but you have no shame over it. And so that's where he's trying to wake them up. And he's saying, you mean to tell me you don't have one person in all of your midst that can help you figure out the way of righteousness. So we move to a close with this question. Welcome to the Lord's church. Because of God's wisdom and godly saints, there's never reason to go elsewhere to settle matters between Christians. Never. Let's read verse one again. Dare any of you, that means Courage, and here it's used as foolish courage. You're going to have the foolish courage to do this? Have a matter against another, talking about a brother or sister? Go to law before the unrighteous and not before saints? There have been people sanctified and you could go before them? And you're going to choose to go before the ones that have chosen to live an unrighteous life? What are you thinking? What I learned today, number one, Christians don't take Christians to court. Number two, kingdom people should know the way of righteousness and how to apply it to everyday life and we ought to be able to help others that sincerely want that. Number three, who sitting among you would you allow to settle a dispute for you? We do live in a world that is problematic. There are a lot of problems around us. The solution is where do we go? God knew that we would have problems with each other. I'd love for us to be able to say, if we just love God enough, there won't be any problems we'll ever have between each other. But the reality is we're human and we're frail and we're imperfect and we're going to have problems with each other. But here's the thing we must answer in our mind this morning. The next time we have a problem with a brother or sister, where are we going to turn? Surely there is someone among us that can help settle that dispute. This morning, are you on the side of the Lord? What's the purpose of life? How can I have eternal life? All of those things that are being asked right now on that website, there's a solution. 
But think how many people go other places for the solution instead of to God. And this morning we invite you to come to God for the solution. It's the Lord's invitation. Jesus said, whosoever will, come. If we can help you, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins, if you're ready to be restored and to come back to Him, if we can help you in any way,